0: welcome back to the master of none podcast where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day nothing is off the table the intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast as well as informing as well as entertaining so sit back relax and listen and enjoy the show so probably one of the most important things to really put into consideration, whenever we look at situations based on information, is always understanding that there's two sides to every story, and each side presents different points to it. Now, whenever we look at understanding what a false flag is, okay, if we look at probably one of the most influential false flags in history, as we know it, or or what is presented as we know it, is the Operation Himmler. So, what we have to understand is back in 1939, whenever Hitler was really starting to become more influential within Germany, his ability to kind of take the stage, communicate, command the room, was becoming very, very influential. And he was basing it, too, off the simple fact that he was a world War I veteran, utilizing everything he learned in that war, going to prison, seeing whatever, and kind of bringing the Germans together to focus on one problem, one issue, and really utilizing it as a whole, kind of building in this Aryan concept. Well, in order to truly pallet war for the next generation after World War I, because World War One was supposed to be the war to, in all wars, trench warfare. I mean, shell shocked. You know, my grandfather fought, my great grandfather fought in that war, and it was one that really stood the the testament of time. When we look at one of the biggest false flags that come out of there was Operation Himmler, and also called, well, I can't really pronounce the Russian one, but it took place in 1939. And it really was happening in order to stage this concept of Russian, I'm sorry, of Polish aggression against the Germans. And the Germans were using propaganda to report on this and to justify their invasion of Poland, which started in the 1st of September 1939. Justification of invasion is so, so important. I mean, we can even look back at what happened in the United States with Colin Powell indicating that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which maybe were found, maybe weren't found, but the justification of invasion. What we really have to understand is it's a palatable concept. It's something that has to be sold, has to be sold based on fear, has to be sold based on the understanding that there is a power that is coming to get us And if we don't stand together and unite, what could happen? Tonight, within this episode, I'm really going to focus on what is going on currently right now between Russia and Ukraine as it relates to this drone strike that took place on the Kremlin yesterday. Why, what, and what is going on? I mean, obviously, you can get the extent of what I'm going to talk about, but... It's something that really needs to be broken down, so let's get into it. So I've had a chance to kind of review this attack that took place on the Kremlin, understanding it from both a strategic standpoint, understanding it from what it actually did physically, and maybe what is the narrative that is potentially being created at the Kremlin. So I don't know if you've actually watched it, but I'll do my best to describe it to you. Is the Kremlin had footage of there's a dome within the Kremlin, much like the dome at the United States Capitol, where it's kind of rotund. And it shows two objects slowly flying over and detonating, if you will. The detonation has a lot of fire to it. It's very like bright but it doesn't have a natural natural explosion to it. Both are detonated, and within moments, maybe within, I mean, it wasn't that long of a time. I mean, within hours, really, the Kremlin released documents and information indicating that they believed it was a result of Ukraine. Now, within the document, what they're indicating is a terrorist attack, an invasion, if you will, in the fact that Ukraine was doing it. Meanwhile, Putin, you know, what they really said was was they were trying to assassinate Putin. Now, if we look at it, Putin was not in the Kremlin that night, and President Zelaya Zelaya was off in Finland interacting with the Finnish on some type of diplomatic mission or talking about their latest um, entry into the, potentially, NATO, whatever. So the point is, is how the Krillman is presenting it. They looked at the messaging. They identified it was Crimea. They identified that it actually came from the U- Crimea within Ukraine, and it was an attack on their sovereignty. And as a result of it, there's going to be a rep, rep, rep. And rep- you know, I honestly do not know why I get stuck on these words sometimes. Um, but there's going to be repercussions for this. Now, I, I really think what's probably most interesting about it is when you look at it, there's a certain point to where you're like, this looks like, in my opinion, a false flag. It looks like this could not be attacked from Crimea or Ukraine. Now, whenever we break down you know, how many Ukrainian people are coming in and out of Russia currently right now? Um, what is the Ukrainian influence within Russia? Yeah. You know, I can't provide those numbers, but here what I can provide you. Kiev is 500 miles away from Moscow. And when we look at these attacks, what we have to understand is there are different categories of drones. Some drones can fly a lot of miles. You know, if we look at probably this attack, in my opinion... It looks very, very similar to a DJI drone. A DJI drone is going to come out of China. It's not going to be one of these fixed wing drones we see flying around. It's going to actually have, um, like a, it's going to have like a helicopter type kind of look to it. It goes for about 2,500 and maybe its ability to fly is 2.5 miles. So when we look at the attack zone of 2.5 miles, it means that somebody would have had to get within 2.5 miles of the Kremlin in order to send a drone with detonation over it. I mean, that's going to be a very, very tough, potentially given the circumstances or situations, if we look at the other categories of drones. And this is going to be a self-detonated drone. It's not like, you know, if we look at the majority of drone attacks happening within ukraine and russia is they're using it strategically it's like how the ukrainians have ukrainians have used drones in the war they're actually using it to drop payloads there's multiple videos online where you see the ukrainians dropping hand grenades on russian soldiers and it's pretty difficult to watch because they're literally blowing up snipers with like this pinpoint accuracy Coming in and dropping payloads. We really haven't seen a self-detonated suicide drone from the Ukrainians a whole lot. But where we have seen these self-detonating suicide drones is actually from, you guessed it, the Russians. They've been flying them in. And I think you, we've had multiple ones right here where we had over, if we look at kind of the latest attacks or the attacks that have happened, we've had about. Now I'm citing Wikipedia, so unfortunately I am only subject to open source material. So just bear with me. But we're looking at maybe 84 cruise missile cruise missile attacks. Now these are going to be guided missiles from other locations. Whether they're shooting them from, um, you know, kind of like a trailer type situation. Obviously they don't have naval vessels that are firing. Like this, we would maybe be firing tomahawks from the United States standpoint. But getting to the point, they've had 24 suicide drones. So so suicide drones is going to be a different form of technology. And the Russians have used it more than the Ukrainians. We don't really see Ukrainians flying drones into missions and blowing up the drone. What we see them is dropping payloads. So if that was the conversation, I'd be like, okay, well, technically that's one the next thing is if you're gonna fly a drone okay so that means you have to have a strategic special operations intelligence team operating within russia doing all these things which is even worse because then it's saying that no one you know and then if it was like a patriot or a sorry mq9 drone flying an mq9 drone maybe flies 1500 miles but um ukraine's not using these drones so you know to really rule it as ukrainian is is really kind of difficult but if it's a false flag then we can actually kind of get more of an understanding of why because this is a like a horrible attempt like if you were ukraine and like this is your best attempt to assassinate putin it's like how is that even possible you flew a drone over the Kremlin and just fired off a little firebomb. it's like come on now like you and, and your intelligence wasn't good enough to indicate Putin wasn't even in, um. In Kiev or I'm sorry in Crimea. Sorry if I'm getting those two mixed up with this podcast. Whenever you plan a hit, okay, I'm just like not that I've ever done it or I understand it, but strategically you have to always be mindful that if you look at assassination attempts, more than likely they're always going to happen in transition. So if you look at, for example, something like diplomatic security, which is affiliated with the state department, they are going to be more mindful of transitional attacks that could occur maybe on ambassadors, things like that. So when you're actually driving, okay, so when you're driving and you can determine when someone's moving, if I'm trying to assassinate Putin, I'm not going to fly a drone over a building and just detonate it. It makes no sense. But if I am Putin and I need signaling and I need to use a false flag in order to engage the public focusing on how to kind of reinvigorate him for a war. Because if we look at kind of the timeline right now of what's going to happen is May 9th is actually the, I don't know what you call it. it's like the, um, the remembrance day of world war two whenever they beat the Germans. Now I know to a Western mindset, That's like that doesn't mean anything, but in the Russian perspective, it's really probably one of their strongest anchors of identity, and they come back to it. And you know where they're going to give the speech for May 9th? Right by the Crimea, right in the same building where this had detonated. And you don't think Putin's going to reference that? You know, Putin is always going to be the one who knows how to maneuver the narratives within Russia, understanding how to gain the most out of the media, being a student of the KGB, which is probably one of the most successful entities that have ever come out of Russia during the Cold War. You know, if we look at what Russia probably produced the best of its its KGB operatives, and Putin being that one who has rose to power using the training, utilization, and understanding it. Now, if we gauge forward, why is he doing it? Is it to reinvigorate the Russian population? Are the are the kills that are happening within this Ukrainian war are so dramatic, we don't know? I mean, there's some reports saying 20,000 people have died since the beginning of the year, you know? I mean, that's 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 a lot to put in perspective if we look at how many people have died in... If we look at probably one of the most deadliest wars since World War II, we always would probably use the Korean War, better known as the Silent War, where it's believed that there was 36,000 casualties that made up for the war, which is a lot. You know, that that was one of our deadliest wars we fought, and to think that many soldiers died in Korea is pretty unreal, and to think since December, okay, hypothetically, if Russia's facing that many KIAs, and they need a little regeneration or a little reminder, why not fire a fake drone attack from the ukrainians before may 9th before their big national remembrance day like this is tactical and very normal for gaining the narrative And remember having the narrative is more important than winning the war i'm going to say that again because what we really have to understand when we think about these types of situations is obtaining the narrative is more important than winning the war let's break it down this simple fact you know The data indicates that before Russia even thinks about leaving a war consistently, 500,000 people need to die, number one. Number two, there's 150 million Russians and only 49 million Ukrainians. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and what the speech is actually going to be on May 9th and how those points get put back into it. I'm just saying look at this situation with an open mind and understanding that the narrative is the most important thing. Thank you so much, and we'll get back to you tomorrow.